Aloha and welcome back to the Sup FM podcast. And this week I'm chatting to world champion Michael Booth from Perth, Australia. This episode is brought to you in association with Starboard. Starboard has a long history in board design, with Sven Rasmussen entering the windsurfing market with innovative designs back in 1994, building the brand to become market leader within a decade. The brand was quick to see the huge potential of stand-up paddling and while focusing on reducing their environmental impact, have continuously worked to produce the best boards and the best paddles for all abilities. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. In this week's episode, I welcome Michael Booth, four-time world champion, coach, entrepreneur, podcaster and now house builder. Michael is an inspiring guy to talk to and in this episode we don't only talk through one of his most incredible and famous wins but also he gives some great tips for taking apart your training needs and preparing for your race whatever your level of competition. So here is international ocean athlete Michael Booth. Hey, Michael. Great to have you on the podcast. Welcome to SUP FM. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's fantastic to have a four-time world SUP champ on the show. And hopefully we can harvest some of your knowledge, some of your insights around your incredible successes. But I don't think there's any doubt that SUP is incredibly popular at the moment, particularly in the US and the UK, with loads of beginners joining the sport. So can you remember the first time you stepped onto a SUP? Yeah, so my first time being onto a SUP was 2014. I had a friend who was creating a SUP company called Gulliver Surfboards at the time. And my brother was actually working with Gully, actually lifeguarding on the Gold Coast. And we both went down and tried them out and went in and out a few times at Northcliffe Beach. And basically after that, he said, Oh, do you want to, do you want to board? Do you want to, do you want to try and, and do a few SUP races? And basically went from there. And when was it you first thought that this sport is something that you want to do long term? Well, I think in 2016, I started taking it seriously, but I probably first found out about stand-up paddleboarding in probably 2013, 2014. I saw guys like Jake Jensen, Paul Jackson, and they were on the Gold Coast and they were heading around to all these different events around the world on the AVP World Tour, on the Euro Tours and getting a bit of success. and. I was doing surf life saving at the time and it just and I was sort of dabbling in ocean ski and kayaking and this seemed like a really good I guess sporting change for me because I really enjoy paddling and I really enjoy the ocean and water sports so I was like well maybe I can be good at that as well so yeah probably about then I started to think about it and then 2016 basically took it started taking it quite seriously. So let's go back to those early days then because you grew up pretty close to the water didn't you and your first real passion as you just mentioned was in surf life saving which is growing in the UK but definitely a, a cultural thing um, in Australia just tell us a, a bit about those early days and your your sort of growing love for the ocean. Yeah, so we grew up in Caves Beach, which is in Newcastle, well, late, technically Lake Macquarie in New South Wales in Australia. And we were the second house at the end of Park Avenue there. And we, we joined the local surf club. I guess I was down there as soon as my older brother, Stephen, joined. And I think I was I was running around at five uh, in the under sixes and trying to, to do that sort of stuff. I think in Australia, surf life saving is something we all kind of go into because Australia is a very coastal community the beach is very much part of our lives so learning those skills and in the ocean I guess to save lives and save yourself and save your kids was something that's really important and and I just love that so and then I got involved obviously more into the competition time into the competition side of swimming and, and board paddling and eventually doing a lot of school sports along the way but yeah surf life saving was definitely my first and what sort of skills does it teach you so obviously there is quite a sizable um surf you know off you know you know famously on the australian beaches what sort of skills does it teach you what sort of disciplines are involved in the surf lifesaving so at a senior level in i guess in the surf ironman part it's like swimming board paddling surf ski paddling running is like the main formats but then you've also got like iib racing uh, boats beach beach flags beach running 
I didn't really get involved in those last four that I mentioned, but there's so many different skills. But from a, a skill perspective, I think it teaches you how to, I guess, read the ocean, read the swells, read the wind, understand, I guess, as we got older, understanding graphs and, and studying the ocean conditions, picking rips, understanding how to, how to swim and, and to, to manage a craft through the ocean. All those skills I definitely am using now, I guess, at an older age in, and in stand-up paddling. And you got into surf, ski and, and kayaking. And again, you know, like, like those skills that you just mentioned that you picked up and which you now use for stand-up paddling, I'd really like to find out how those have helped your, your, your sporting journey on, in SUP. But first, could you explain to those who don't know, what is surf ski? Surf ski is like kayaking through the ocean. Essentially, that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, you, you've got a, a double-bladed paddle. It's a wing paddle, same as kayaking. You sit on top, foot ski, and it's similar to an ocean ski that they're having now. But they're a bit lighter and, and faster, but yeah, it's a, it's a basically a sit on top kayak. That's how that's how I describe it. But you go, it's it's made to go through. Brilliant. And and how have those sports, you know, the kayaking, the surf ski, affected your your sup career? Has it helped you? I mean, obviously. It, provide you with a really powerful engine but in terms of technique and so on has it added anything to your sup experience and your sup skills i think definitely i when i came into sup in i guess 2015 2014 2015 2016 when i started getting a bit more serious with it i really knew how to paddle i had a really good physical aptitude and understood how to compete i understood how to race the skills were a little bit different obviously standing and having to walk on the board was a little bit of a challenge for me to begin with, but that was just just working at it. I've always been somebody who's been able to get better at things just by working hard at it and, and trying to outwork other people. So that's where I've gotten my skills from. Kayaking and ocean ski paddling, which I was doing just before I basically got into stand-up paddling, it was very similar format, especially in ocean ski paddling. A lot of that was mainly 20K downwind or 20K out and back races. So very similar to like the marathon style races that a lot of the stand-up paddling events are conducted in now. And I think probably the more appealing races for a lot of the general population who get involved in stand-up paddling. It's it's a very good blend, I think, from my background to now, all those different skills I've learned along the way and all those physical things that I've learned, like through gym and running and, and strength and conditioning and, and all these different things have, I guess, created a a, a, probably an all-round athlete that allows me to compete at the highest level in stand-up paddleboarding. Yeah, and of course you've got your Iron Man as well. Tell us a bit about that because that really teaches you about how to suffer, doesn't it? Yeah. So when I say Iron Man, I actually mean surf Iron Man. I don't mean like Kona Iron Man. Like I don't mean swim, bike, run. I mean surf. It's like surf Iron Man. So swim, board, ski, running. But I did a few cool and gutter goals around that four-hour mark, and I've done a few uh, Molokai to Oahu's now. So those races definitely teach you how to. Yeah, definitely. So let's move into your SUP journey now, because um, you moved into the, the sport, as you said, sort of comparatively recently, and you just won the Durban Cup in surf ski. So you're doing really pretty well in that sport. But having got into SUP, you started getting results fairly quickly. Could you just tell us about that transition over to SUP and those early days and maybe sort of frustrations? And and you mentioned as well about sort of working hard in order to get the techniques and the skills. Just tell us about how you managed that during those early days. Well, I think through the early, early days, I was still heavily involved in ocean ski paddling. I had my probably my best year ever of ocean ski paddling actually in 2015 where I like wasn't off the podium in any races. I finished second in the World Series. I think I was second in the National. Or I think I maybe maybe I won the Australian Ocean Racing Series around like that 2014. So I was doing quite well in the ocean ski, but I saw SUP having more opportunities to travel, more exciting experiences for me. So that's how I sort of valued my perspective and, and my focus from that point. So at the end of 2015 I thought all right let's let's take I think I won sorry I won the world title I think it was to the end of 2015 in Fiji for the ISA worlds and that's when I thought okay well maybe I am as as good as these other guys like I had gone to Carolina and finished like 18th and had a really bad race and in in 2015 I think I finished eighth the year before and I was sort of dabbling a little bit between sort of kayaking and and surf ski and 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 sup so I was like, okay, well, which which one has actually got the best the best future for me at the moment? When 2016 rolled around, that it was SUP. So I was like, right, how do I take what I've learned through my other sports 
and make myself into a, a better athlete for stand-up paddling. And that was a really revolved around writing the right program for myself, writing, I guess, skill-based programs for myself to be able to get better at that those components because I know things that I, I really struggled with at the start was well, standing on the board was a really hard thing because I think doing sit-down sports for a long time, you don't you use your legs, but you don't have to use the stabilizer muscles so much like you do in SUP. So I remember one of my first paddlebacks from, it must have been in 2000, and, I'm going to say 2014 before I started getting serious with it. It was on a white Gulliver board. You might if you scroll down on my Instagram, it's probably still there. And I basically couldn't paddle for more than like 500 meters on my feet because my feet would get sore, my legs would get sore, my back would get sore. And I'd be like, I'm never going to be able to do this. Like, this is too hard. Like, I, physically, it's impossible to, to get stronger at this. But I just kept, I just kept like getting out there, trialing it. And, I, and I, I'm somebody who loves to get better at things. So it was something that, when I was out there, I was like, okay, well, next time I'm going to get better again, then I'm going to get better again. And I love that journey of being a beginner and then becoming advanced at something. And and I really enjoyed that journey. And then it also allowed me to to go out and, and compete on that world stage like at early 2016 and start to be really competitive in races. And and that's sort of what I'd come from, being competitive athlete. And, and it was just all new and exciting, new people, new challenges, like learning your competition, learning the races, learning the events and, and meeting all these new amazing people. So it was a, a pretty cool transition from, I guess, my background to, to stand up paddling as my main focus. Absolutely. And when you come to something new, that learning journey is so exciting, isn't it? I guess there's a thing there about how you deal with failure and frustration if you if you can't do it, which uh, I know a lot of beginners wrestle with, but you know, you don't come out fully formed. You've got to really work on it. And one of the things I know about your CV is you had a kind of sliding doors moment where you had the option of going into sport or going into a career as an engineer. Do you think you bring that engineer type mindset to your paddling and certainly to the technical side? I think I do in a way. I'm always sort of evaluating like different things like I really try and break things down. I know and I come out of a race and, and I do poorly or I don't have the result that I, I need to. I need to really evaluate and work out what I did wrong and, and how I'm going to get better. Like there was, I guess, a, an example when I – it was it was Bill Bauer 2018, I think it was, and I was racing Bruno Suyo to the finish line and I, I, I was slipping on my paddle. I think I slipped two or three times coming into the final sprint and it just frustrated me to no end because I was like, well, I didn't do my best performance. And that's something that I always strive to do. Whether I win or lose, I always want to be able to do the best I can on the day. And I, I get to that finish line, couldn't have done any more. And from then on, I just, I started putting this VMG Dragon Grip that one of my sponsors created and my, I don't slip anymore. So like, I think that's kind of like that technical aspect I take to things and I've changed fins a lot. In, in a way, I, I guess I do use that, like that, that sort of mindset of an engineer, but I also... I'm someone who tries to eliminate variables. So when I'm when I'm racing or when I'm training or when I'm traveling, I try and have the least amount of variables that I need to perform well. So I've never been somebody who needs to eat a certain breakfast or paddle a certain board or have a certain fin or, you know, like I, I've just gone, okay, right, like that stresses me out too much. So I can just grab anything and do well. That's That's always the plan. For example, I'm segueing a bit here, but in China in 2019, I think we're going to get to this a little bit later, I actually didn't have a board to race on the night before the final of that race. So that's that, that those sort of challenges come to it. But coming back to that sort of, like a, I guess, epiphany moment where I just back in, I think it was 2000 and, geez, it must be 2011, I think I decided. I wasn't going to do uni anymore with engineering. It was basically I wanted to be a – I could either be a sports person or continue with my degree. And instead of finishing, I was doing a double in business and, and engineering and I could do the business part online and I couldn't do the engineering online. So I went, right, I'm going to go down the path of, of business and, and I'm going to have a real crack at this sport. And I guess what I've learned is as well is if the people who take risks generally succeed and the people who kind of don't take that risk and don't, I guess, commit all of their time and their energy into their passion or into something that they want to achieve, they don't achieve it. So I've always been somebody who's gone, right, well, I guess you, you only live once and it sounds a bit cliche, but you've got to have a crack and, and do the best you can at all times. 
Absolutely. And I think over the last 18 months, a lot of people have been learning a huge amount about resilience and adapting and so on. So yeah, it's a really good way to to live. So, So just taking apart your paddle style and again, from the sort of transition, you've got a very distinctive paddle style. And I know that you you coach it as well, and it's been hugely successful. How did you develop that? Or was it all sort of quite natural? Well, it's kind of two part. Like, yes, it was kind of natural coming from like the forward stroke technique I learned through kayaking. And then it was just understanding that fundamentally, I thought the stroke that people were teaching at the time when I came into SUP wasn't the most efficient or effective stroke. And I think in some way, in some part, I've I've helped change the way that SUP is actually paddled, or at least at at the elite level, from the way that I, I sort of paddled. More in the front, I sort of talk about like that four or five phases, like set up, sink the paddle, engage at the front of the catch and then pull the blade out by the feet and then recover and go again. I think a lot of people were teaching that sort of um, sweeping, pushing the top hand forward and it sort of wasn't it just, it didn't really make sense to me because in kayaking you, you kind of spear the fish, you set the blade, you pull quite hard at the front of your stroke and then you release the blade because when we're paddling, we're moving past the point of impact or point of projection into the water. So when you when when we're when we're doing those other strokes, it's kind of feel like mentally. I was like, well, if I'm doing that, I feel like I'm trying to pull through the water, which we're not doing. I was like, okay, so how do I make that work for me? And I guess it's kind of interesting that you mentioned the engineering mindset because I've never thought about it that way. But yeah, I kind of had to break it down and go, okay, well, I think that's wrong. Okay, what are the things that I think that I need to do to make it right? And that's how I evaluate, it, and that's how I change the stroke to make it suit me and. And it's really cool when I see it, obviously, through booth training and, and through the clinics and stuff that I do abroad. And even just from videos that people watch of me racing, like people genuinely text me and, and say, oh, it's amazing. Thank you so much for helping change the way that I thought about the stroke because it's made me get better, it's made me get faster, or it's made me get more efficient. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing to be able to make an impact in some way. What are the most common mistakes people tend to make when they're sort of starting out? Well, I think... It just generally, I think mo- the biggest mistake people make is that I need a narrow, skinny board to go fast. I'm mainly talking about, I guess, racing here, but even in general for general sup paddlers, I think people try and always get the skinniest, fastest board, which is not necessarily going to be their best suited board. Like there's a lot of shops and amazing distributors and that out there that you can actually talk to about these things. But yeah, I think that's probably the key mistake, getting a board that isn't suited to your ability because if you're swimming, you're not paddling far. Secondly, I th- well, secondly, a funny one is seeing a lot of people paddle with the paddle around the wrong way. I think you sort of see that those people, like you're sitting down, I, I've gone down to, um, I remember being down in Eagle Bay in summer, which is down south of Perth where I live and just seeing all these people just pointing at them to they are all got their paddle around the wrong way. So that's probably the key, one of the key ones that I noticed. At the end of the day, I think people are just trying to go out there and have fun. And, and it's amazing to see so many people getting out and enjoying stand-up paddleboarding. So I guess the, the, the biggest advantage is to get out there and enjoy the water. And if you're making mistakes or you want to learn, I think there's so many like sub-professionals, sub-shops, sub-hire places. There's just there's so much information and obviously online coaches like me at the the other end where you can really improve the way that you paddle, the way that you I know how you are physically, like they can give you advice on your boards on what selections you should be making. So there's a lot of help and advice out there, I think, that people can definitely grab a hold of. Absolutely. And it's really interesting there you said about the board choice because, you know, it's one of the endless questions on Facebook, which is which board should I get? When a lot of these people who are starting out end up having an absolutely shocking paddle. And it's actually, you know, if you have a shocking board, but a decent paddle, that makes far more difference to your experience. What's your view on that? Yeah, well, I think think a lot of people just generally in life want the best equipment for nothing. Mm -hmm. I think that like, and people don't, in stand-up paddleboarding, if you spend the money, you're generally going to have a better experience. Like, I, I guess, like, I'm going to be a bit biased here, but Starboard are a major sponsor of mine. And I, and I actually, this is going to segue a little bit, but when I first started stand-up paddleboarding, that was the brand that I wanted to be sponsored by. Like, I emailed Sven. I sort of pledged my case. I was a pretty much an unknown paddler. And 
I worked something out with Starwell because I knew that they were the best brand. I knew they were continuously innovating with their boards and, and making the, the sup paddling experience better for not only the athlete, but for the, the amateur and the general population alike. So I think that's something that's really important is when we're going out and we're choosing, talk to people about it, choose a board that's not only suitable for you, but something that's going to last a long time and something that's going to give you a good experience. Because if you start with a bad experience to stand up paddleboarding, like any sport or anything that you do in life, you're not going to probably come back to it. So choosing a good board, choosing a good paddle. And when it comes to racing and starting to compete in, in remember that your training and your the amount of time that you can spend on paddling and getting your body right is always going to trump a brand new board choice. Just tell me, Michael, about some of your racing highlights. Are there any locations that have been your favourites? Because I know you've, you've been all over the world with it, and particularly in Europe. I'd have to say, and I guess going on the theme of Tokyo at the moment with the Olympics being there, I, I must say that going to Japan has always been a favourite of mine. The people there are just amazing. They're so supportive. You feel like a real a star in, in when you're going to Japan. But by the same token, going to Europe, I, I love racing and in Europe because it's just it's just you kind of feel as an athlete they're coming from Australia Australia is very doesn't really do too much stand-up paddleboard racing and that type of thing but when you're going overseas you feel kind of like a real professional and you're actually doing a sport that a lot of people are doing because it is quite incredible when you're seeing videos I saw one I'm not sure if it was in Russia or Argentina just on Instagram there's just thousands of thousands of paddlers paddling along a river and I was just like oh it's just so stand-up paddleboarding is just so big overseas. But at the same token, I love racing in America as well. So it's just mm. it, I kind of like traveling, racing, and the experience. And the experience is the people that you go and paddle with at all these events. And what I love about SUP is that there's so many like-minded, spirited, passionate people that you go to these events for. So, yeah, I, I kind of like going to a lot of different places. But yeah, I can keep listing them off. Like going to Hawaii is amazing, like for different experiences. Going to Tahiti is amazing for different experiences. So, yeah, I, I like I like kind of racing everywhere. I just yeah, I like the people and I like the the traveling community that we get to travel around with as well. Absolutely, it seems like a really good atmosphere amongst all the athletes and the, and in all those races. So, tell me a little bit about life behind the scenes on the racing circuit because in normal times you're obviously, as you said, traveling and competing in different time zones and winning. So in my mind, I've got, you know, you're a multi-world champion. You've got an entourage doing all of your logistics while you're sort of living your best life and preparing yourself for competition. Am I 100% on with that? You are not. So basically, I do everything myself with my, my partner, Christy. So we travel around together and we organize everything um, from, I basically organize my boards, my flights, my accommodation, where if I'm going to do a clinic, I organize to meet up with people to make sure my boards are going to get to locations, like my entry fees. Obviously, my sponsors support me financially um, to help me get to these places and to do these things. But basically, Everything is my decision. I guess I'm a little, a little, a tiny business that has to run to, to make money for us. But yeah, I'm doing, I basically do everything myself. There's not much of an entourage. I do have a physio and stuff that I work with here, Stoke Physio, a couple of different people who I do rely on to help make decisions on. Like uh, if I'm a bit stuck on trying to work out if I've done something wrong or whatever. And obviously my family have been very supportive of me as well. But no, there's no team managers. There's no, physios there's no entourage traveling with me it's just um, usually just christy and i and we try and make the most of it in between each and every event and i guess the event organizers are always really helpful as well starboard distributors are really helpful there's lots of people i do rely on but i do have to to organize it majoritively all by myself well that's incredible and i guess that's where the resilience um comes in really because you know you can't control all factors no matter how well you organize it yourself um so what I'd like to do now is just ask you about a specific race. We're going to link the coverage of this race in the show notes. And it's the ICF Championships in 2019, which you won. And you were the first of the ICF gold medal winners. And you won in the long distance race and you won against the Hazulio brothers. Uh, and those conditions looked very windy and pretty challenging, but quite apart from the, the power, which is clear that you were delivering during the race, 
the boy turns or the buoy turns were, were critical. And um, just talk me through some of the tactics and some of the thinking which got you that victory, because you really had to adapt, didn't you, from the off in that run? Well, I think, yeah, the 2019 ICF World Champs were something that was like quite challenging even from the get-go. Like I'd had a really good season. I'd, I'd gone over to Europe and I'd won the Euro Tour again. I'd won a lot of races there. I'd come home and I was a bit kind of flat, I think, as well. So this is sort of talking beforehand. Mentally, I was a bit, you know, a bit all over the place. Like you, you travel a lot. You go away for like two to three months. I'd won Carolina, won the Euro Tour. I'd won a lot of events. And then coming home, you're like, okay, I'm exhausted. I don't really want to do anything more. I went, actually went to Japan before it. I won in Japan for the APP World Tour. And I came home and we actually had what was quite interesting. We had the Australian titles on in, in Victoria and I was sort of umming and ahhing and I wasn't really that keen to go. And the the thing was I actually got beaten there. So Ty Judson, one of the young guys from um, Australia, really up and coming, strong competitor. He was actually in the, in the 2019 race in Worlds as well. But he he won the the distance race for the Australian titles. And I finished that race and I, I, I thought I didn't care. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, like I had a really good season. I obviously didn't win this one. I got second, but that's that's fine. And Coming and then going home and, and sort of evaluating it like I do with all my races, I was like, oh, geez, the fire's really burning now. Like, I really want to win. And the interesting thing was, Worlds is the next week. So, mm-hmm. coming from that defeat and then coming into Worlds, I was like, I really wanted to win again. And it's amazing how those losses transition into your motivation for your next victories. And I say that a lot, but it's, it's really important. But yeah, coming into China, there were so many things going. I went there with my dad, so it was always great to have a good support crew. Dad's actually been to um, every single world title that I've won, which is a fun stat, and he loved, he loves always bringing that up. But when I went to China, I didn't have a – my boards hadn't arrived, so they got stuck in Hong Kong for some reason, and they didn't make it up to Qingdao. And so for the first few days, I was paddling on a loan, some loan boards from different people, and the night before the race, I'm, I'm emailing back and forth with Sven, the CEO and, and Bart, team manager, and obviously the transport company and trying to get to get the board to the line and text a few people and I end up getting a board from Christiana, a young girl from the Czech Republic, I believe, and so they went racing at the same time. So I was like, all right, cool, backup board, that, that's perfect. I can relax. I know that's a good board. So actually the board that I raced on wasn't the board that I originally was going to race on. So I had a new board that I was going to race on and I ended up racing on the the last year's model so that was the first challenge to get through and then on the day the organizers changed so it was a bit windy so originally they, they changed the course they were going to drop it to a 10k race then they put it back to a 20k race and they were canceling the event and then they're putting the sprints on then they were changing that up so there was like all that thing all that stuff happening so i had to stay calm through all of that they changed our start time so obviously the way you eat and drink is obviously going to be different and eventually when we finally got on the start line after all of that, you've got to put it all behind you. And I guess being a bit more of an experienced athlete, you're pretty used to that type of stuff happening. And then it was just the way we went. And I had a good start. I think I was in the the top three to the first three cans, I think it was. I think the first one was a right-hand turn, then a left-hand, then a left-hand again. And the tyre, the guy we were speaking about uh, before, he actually fell off in the first K and a half or two Ks of the race. And I was, I think Bruno might have been leading and Daniel was second and I was third. And I just yelled out to those boys, and I, let's go, boys, let's go, let's go, let's go. And we sprinted for about two or three K and we got away. So then it was a race in three for that next 15 kilometers or whatever it was going to be. And so then it was about, obviously, you're working against brothers here. So you've got to really have your your wits about you to work out, okay, what are they going to do? How are they going to perform? And, and those boys are paddling really well. And I think one of the key things when you're going into these races, when you're racing against guys who really want it and, and really want it as much as you do, it feels so much better when you get those victories. And also when you when you don't win, you also appreciate that they put the sacrifice into it. But well, I was, yeah, I, I've said this before, but I was watching a few of the different things and on the outside, there was a lot of wind. And for some reason, Bruno kept going wide and I'm sure he'll never do this again, as we all learn from our mistakes. But he kept going a lot really wide off the can. I was like, okay, if I can turn hard i can get a gap because it's really hard once once you're next to somebody to get them off your wash there's very Mm -hmm. few opportunities to do that and sprint finishing i am good at because i'm I'm probably as good of a sprinter at the end of a race as quick guys are at the start of their race it's not necessarily my forte so i've done a lot of 2k or 2k or, or like sort of 10 minute paddling or intervals like that so i knew i had that in me to get to the finish line and 
yeah, once I turned, I was like, okay, I just got to hold hold this pace, and and I knew I could do it. So it was just about just executing that properly. But I still remember like coming into that final finish line section. It must have been maybe five hundred meters from the finish line. I had a little wobble, and I was like, wow, that was nearly the race. Because once you fall in at that stage, it's very hard to get back on and perform to that high level again. So it wasn't lucky. I guess I I put myself in the position to not fall off. But yeah, it could have been very different if if that one stroke went made me go in the water instead of me holding it but yeah it was a really cool cool victory to have as i say coming from that that loss i guess in the australian title to having all those different problems that we had to deal with at the start of the race to finally um getting across the finish line first it's it's one of those things that you look back on you're like oh, i kind of not only survived but i guess i performed to the best of my ability on the day and i, I couldn't have done any more and that gave me the win so i was very yeah, I mean, it was an incredible performance and you really put the pedal down once you had gone around that last boy. And and as you said, you know, you, you got the angle there to really accelerate and you built a lead fairly rapidly then. And I know you looked around a couple of times. What was going through your mind at that time? Because it's really easy, as you said, you know, to ha- have a, a wobble. You know, how do you keep your concentration? Because you must have been, you know, you must have thought, well, I've got this. Oh, you never really think think that you've got it until you get across the finish line. If you get those thoughts, you try and dismiss them and go, no, I've got to get the job done. You're focusing on each and every stroke, focusing on like the power phase of your stroke, focusing on your technique, just focusing on all those little things that make your board move past that point and just keep, it's just a continual cycle. And sometimes I count strokes. Sometimes I'm just, just, I'm in that moment. And that's something that I really love about sport because nothing else matters at that point it's it's you versus yourself but it's you versus the guys around you and it's it's something i really do enjoy is actually not only fighting physically with people like on the water but actually you're kind of fighting them mentally as well because you're like well i'm really hurting and but they must be really hurting but they're not showing and i can't show it so you've got to kind of keep pushing and and performing to that level and you're sort of trying to weave away from them and and make different different calls along the way but when you're when you've, you, I've raced these guys a lot and, and they know how I race and I know how they race and we're always going to try something different to make ourselves get to that, that victory and that top step. But, yeah, you never really think you have it until you get across that finish line, but it was definitely a fulfilling moment. And you mentioned about suffering there and I'm a big cycling fan. We've just had the Tour de France and they talk a lot about suffering and obviously you've got to do that as a top level athlete how do you manage that and how do you push on to to suffer for extended periods because that's a really important part of the equation isn't it well i think in those circumstances you want to suffer the the most because at the end of the day you know once you get across that finish line it feels so much better to come first or to to finish the best of your ability than it is to come second so you're happy to push yourself that little bit more and I guess I always said that to myself, if, if I get to the point where I don't want to do that anymore, I don't want to finish as hard as I can to, to win a race and that's the time to step away and I, I've still got that burning desire to keep doing that to myself. So I will keep doing that. But yeah, you do you do really have to push yourself beyond what you think is possible. But the, the human body and the human mind is an incredible thing and you can definitely always do more than you think you can. And I think those racing experiences are really help you understand that to i guess the nth degree and in terms of your technique because obviously when you when you start to su- suffer when fatigue kicks in that's kind of quite a difficult thing to keep up so i guess the way that you've analyzed your own stroke that really helps you towards the end because i guess you're you're monitoring every aspect of it just to to keep that technique going oh absolutely i think yeah, like one, I am always trying to watch myself, understand what I'm doing and, and trying to make it better. And in those situations, it's all about just maintaining your form, not tightening up, staying relaxed and just not doing what you know you can do and not choking because like, like, people talk a lot about clutch performances and like getting the job done when it counts. And that's something that I thrive on. I, I love that bigger stage and making it happen when it counts. Like I don't really mind if I lose a training, but I really love to win in a race. So when you're talking technique and, and talking about those little elements, you're just trying to make it happen when it counts. And I think secondly as well, like through booth training and, and helping people over the last four to five years with their with their sup paddling and with, and with coaching them, 
I find that the best way to learn, and I guess this is a common known fact, is you learn through coaching. So because I'm analyzing other people, I sort of, the the most interesting thing I found when I started coaching stand-up paddleboarding was I found that I did things, but I had to reverse engineer what I did to help explain it to people because it was quite interesting when I was starting out and I was talking to people and I was like, what do you mean you don't understand that? Like, how Mm. do you not get that? Like, it's so simple. And then I had to go, okay, well, actually take a step back. You're a bit more experienced than these people. How do we take a few steps back and break it down to a very simple level to explain it back? And by doing that, you understand what you're doing better. So it's quite a mm. cool process to go through backwards and then forward. Absolutely. And and that's true of any coaching experience. And indeed, you know, we put together a course around stand-up paddle safety for new paddlers. And, you know, I, I thought I knew stuff and I did, but you learn so much more by actually going through that process and explaining it to other people in a in a clear way. And Absolutely. so so in terms of, of like taking apart a particular sort of aspect of the race, obviously we, we mentioned that the boy turn there where you're able to get a really tight turn. If you were giving an example of how to sort of break that down at a boy turn in terms of technique, if someone was sort of learning it for the first time, what, what sort of elements would you break that down to in order to sort of simplify it for, for someone learning that? Well, there's there's three sort of main buoy turns, I guess, that you can do from, I guess, a race board level. And there's obviously different ones you can learn from a general recreational paddle. But I guess I'll talk about the race board ones because that's sort of more my forte. The first one, if you're on a 14-foot board, you can jump a step. If you're, if you're natural foot, you turn your left foot into the middle of your board, then you step back onto the rail, uh, sorry, onto the foot pad, look where you want it to go, and then some quick sweeping strokes at the back. The second way you would do it is from the middle of your board, you turn your left foot, you step your right foot back, and then you're, you cross step back or you side step to you get your foot over the foot pad and then small sweeping strokes at the back. Now you can do that obviously either cross bow, or, sorry, you can do a cross bow turn which you can come across your board if you're going from right to left on a natural turn. So you're paddling in, you're turning on your left, you put your paddle on your left-hand side, you switch it over to your right, you grab the water and then you pull your, you pull your board to the direction you want to go. And then obviously always, I think the main key factor is always looking to where you want to go. I find that mm-hmm. the biggest mistake that people make with their buoy turns is they're either looking at their paddle, they're looking at their board and they're not looking at where they want to go. And generally that means that they're not positioned in their board correctly and they're not paddling properly. So that's probably the, the key mistake people make, but there are also three probably key turns that people can so, so tell me a bit about your coaching training and what you offer, because it's pretty rare that uh, you can go on and get the advice directly from a world champion. I know you give paddle technique tips and, and information and, and coaching, but just tell me about the, the package uh, from your coaching services. Okay, thanks. Yeah, there's there's three main ones at the moment. So there's the mentor plan, which is sort of the, the deluxe plan where you get a few uh, video courses in a month. We sort of break down your technique. We talk about like tips and skills and drills and all those types of things that you need to do. And then we obviously build your training program based around your goals, based around your objectives. And it's a really intensive plan. So that's like the, the main, the, the highest level, I guess, you can go to. The, the second tier that most people do is just the personalized training. So I write your personalized training program and you get a video analysis once a month. And then we obviously um, talk to each other through the app and, and I really try and help you perform to the best of your ability. And then lastly, there's a there's the basic plan, which is just a generic sort of training program that's based around what, what I think will work best for you. And I just, I give that out in that way. So and then obviously separate to that, there's the video analysis stuff that I do, which is either live and I, I sort of go through your technique with you. I can do that live actually through video. I've been doing that a few a few times with people. and uh, I get on the water, I'm just on Zoom and I'm, I'm watching them paddle and I'm giving them technique through their headphones. I can actually do it, obviously, give you semi-videos in and, and I do that through. And I write, I'm drawing and writing and, and explaining why, why I want you to do these certain things. So yeah, it's something that's really cool. It's something that just came to me, the booth training and the coaching in general. When I basically started the sport back in 2016, people saw, I guess, a, 
a pretty quick rise in the sport and people really wanted to understand and, and learn from me. So people started asking me to coach them and from there I was like, okay, well, maybe I can make this into a bit of a business that'll allow me to continue my passion, which is racing and it just all sort of spiraled from there and, and now I'm sort of helping out a lot of people. I've coached hundreds of people now in, in stand-up paddleboarding, in ocean ski and it's um, been awesome. It's It's such a fulfilling thing like that's something that i've really learned i really like to see people get better to people to improve and just that little text going oh thank you so much i've, I've improved so much or I, I've, I've got my time down or I've, I've, I've got no more back issues or any like little comments like that you're kind of like yes I've, I've really helped that person have a better experience incredible and sounds like you get a real buzz from coaching is this something that you'd want to sort of extend out beyond your athletic career once you know the time comes to retire yeah, definitely. I never really thought that I would do this. Like obviously coming out of uni and, and studying engineering, I, I, I also put in for sports science and, and that type of thing. But it's something that I've learned that I love to do. And I'm somebody, I guess, who chases their passions. I, I love racing and, and I also love coaching now. So it's, yeah, it's something that I definitely want to do. And if I can make it happen. So in terms of approach, I know you're fond of a quote by Chris Voss. And uh, I just happen to be a big fan of his as well. And those who don't know him is an ex-FBI hostage negotiator whose yep. book Never Split the Difference is one of my all-time favourite books. But he said, when the pressure is on, you don't rise to the occasion, but you fall to your highest level of preparation. Just tell me why that quote's been so useful for you in your sporting career so far. Well, it's quite interesting. I actually read Never Split the Difference as well. And I, I, I actually don't probably, I don't read. I actually listen to books when I'm training. I found it's a really good tool to get myself on the water, especially because I'm somebody who trains a lot. But that quite really resonated with me because it, it was, it kind of validated something that I thought for a long time, but I just never really could put it to words because I'd always say like, I'd, I'd always go out and try and train more or work harder or do those type of things. But when it comes to that crunch time and it comes to when it counts, you do, you don't, you don't rise to the occasion. Like you don't find some magical thing that is just coming, like pops out of thin air. Like you, you, you either have prepared for that occasion or you haven't. And if you haven't prepared for it, you don't succeed. You don't, you don't get that moment. You don't win that race. You have to, you have to train to that level to allow you to do that in your competition. So yeah, that quote, yeah, really resonated resonated with me. I think I did post something on Instagram about it. it yeah, it, it just really, I don't know, fired me up. And I was like, yeah, it just makes so much sense. And if I can inspire one or two other people to think about that quote and, and do the same thing, then I guess I guess you've done the right thing. And finally, I just need to speak to you about Boothcast because it's a fantastic podcast series, which you started last year and you've got some incredible guests on there. Uh, first of all, could you just tell us a bit about that whole sort of creation process? And second, whether you're or not you're, you're doing any more episodes or planning to get back to it? Well, yeah, Boothcast was something that came about in that sort of, I guess, COVID depression a bit. I think as an athlete coming out of 2019 and having my best year ever, I I was a bit burnt out actually at the end of 2019. And I was like, okay, well, can I go again? Like, I don't know if I can do it again. I'm, I'm a bit exhausted. I had a really amazing year, but just the time on the road and the travel and like just the nonstop nature of what I was doing was kind of burning me out. So actually when COVID hit and I'm sort of backstoring a little bit here, I was kind of like, like I hadn't even started training yet. Like I came back from Thailand, I think it must've been the, towards the end of February, I think it was, or end of March. I must've been the end of March and I hadn't even started training because normally I go over to Carolina and race, but obviously COVID took control and I got a massive break, but it was a, point in time where I was trying to evaluate what I was going to do next and I'd always like talking to people like I really like talking to people I really value people's opinions and I really like to hear their life stories and understand how they did things and why they did things and you know you just you learn so much from talking to people and I I don't know I just had this I had an idea that okay well maybe I can just go and ring and ring all my friends and talk to them during COVID and, and find out how they're doing and and how they became exceptional athletes or how they did really well at business or how they, you know, performed to that really high level. Like what was their mindset? Like why did they do those things? And from there, yeah, I just started, I was, I was a bit of a machine to be honest because I didn't, I didn't have to train. I didn't have, I had all this time on my hands and I didn't really know what I was going to do. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to basically post a podcast every single day until I work out what I'm going to do. And yeah, I kind of did that. I ended up doing 87 episodes, I think it was in 20. 
2020, 2020. So yeah, that, that sort of was really cool. And, and now I'm sort of like working out what I'm going to do and, and I'm getting back to a little bit of racing, hopefully going overseas in the next next three, four weeks and, and competing back in Europe again. So that'll be really exciting. But yeah, I, I really love Boothcast and I definitely will keep it going. I've definitely taken a step back from it a little bit to work out how I'm going to like use it as a tool to, I guess, either, either monetize it or, or something in that way, because obviously it was a lot of time and I think, I think as you would know, I think it was like six hours an episode I was spending on obviously talking to people, setting up the meeting and doing all that different stuff. So it was, it was a bit of time consuming effort and well, we're building a house at the moment. So we've got, we've got like all these other different projects going on in the background. So that's kind of taken my focus a little bit and obviously getting back to racing as well and training another, I don't know, 13 to 15 hours a week. So but I definitely will. It's something that I really enjoy doing. I like commentating as well. So I think I might be commentating a little bit the ICF World Champs coming up and maybe with the APP as well. So yeah, it's something that I fell into, which is really cool. And I really... That was great fun. And you're absolutely right. It's all about the process and you know how I do the podcast now is very, very different to how I started it, mostly because it used to take me you know, so long to actually get an episode out there. And you mentioned about you building a house, but you've also started a clothing company. Tell us a bit about that. Well, yeah, I we started, so basically I was actually, so I'm a guy who likes just doing random things and I ended up, so uh, Christy's dad actually, so his brother was digging, we had to dig a trench for like to put um, electrical cables down and I went down there and worked with him for two weeks and at the same time trying to evaluate what I was doing at the time and Christy was was really like confused what she was doing because what I didn't realise uh, was what I did was kind of what she did as well. And I didn't really realize that it was like affecting like her, like trying to work out what she wanted to do. And mm. she was like really involved in fashion. She loved picking style. She really loved doing all that type of thing. And I was like, well, let's just do a business. Like, why not? Like if we fail, we fail, but we at least take a risk and we find out if we, if we're going to be good at it. Yeah. We just, we just did it. We didn't know anything. We just learned how to do it along the way and it was a really cool challenge. And it, it sort of gave us something to really focus on, which was, which is great and it's, it's still going now and it's doing it's doing quite well like it's sort of running itself it's it's not it's not uh smashing smashing any records but it's definitely keeping us keeping us busy and it's it's something that we really enjoy and then secondly yeah just building a house i guess we we took a few steps last year like we probably wouldn't have normally done because obviously being on the road you just got so many different focuses as i said that you've got so many different i guess interests that you've got to cover when you're traveling with your travel and entries and, and traveling and flights and, and all those different things that you've got to do when you're being an athlete and I guess being a bit of a solo athlete without the federation support and that type of things yeah so we, we got engaged and then we were like okay well it's a good time we might as well start focusing on building a house and and setting up for uh, our future so we've we've got involved in that now and it's uh, just a cool process it's obviously something you don't know a lot about so you're learning all the time and as I said I love being a beginner at things so that's something that uh, we've thrown ourselves into Amazing. So you've been a, a four-time, well, three-time winner of the Euro Tour, four-time world champion. You've won and defended the Carolina Cup, but there must still be some races out there that are still unfinished business for you. Yeah, well, I think the major one is the the Molokai to Oahu. Like, I haven't won that. I've done it, I've raced it once on the stand-up, and obviously I, I didn't have the preparation that I'd like to have for it. I think as I get a, a bit of an older, becoming more of an older athlete, I guess, like, I'm one of the only guys over 30 in the field, even though I've only started stand-up paddleboarding racing only, what was it, six six years ago. So that's something that I really want to do well at. I, I'd like to win that at some point. I'm coming away from, like, I obviously always go to, to Carolina in April and then go over to Europe and race there for two months or something like that. And then I'd fly straight to Hawaii and, and try and race on a, a very limited program, which is always challenging to do. And uh, I just didn't, like, that. this is one of the races where I haven't done my best performance and it, it kind of, still kind of annoys me to this day where i just i didn't didn't do well at all like i was cramping after two hours i did a, I had a bad race plan i hadn't done the training before and i guess as that chris voss quote as we spoke about before like you don't rise to the occasion you fall to your highest level of preparation and my preparation was terrible for that race so that's definitely one I'd like to go and win again. Carolina Cup, I'd, I'd like to win that again. I've won that twice. And I guess it was always, that was a really good one for me because a lot of people were writing me off saying I was only a flat water paddler. And one of the years that I did it, the first year I won it, I, I downwinded it against the best guys in the business in that last 7K stretch and, and won that race. And, and that was kind of a real 
shining moment for, I think for me and the events like I guess I haven't I haven't really won the overall APP world tour like with the sprints and distance combined like I've won the distance uh, a few t- or once they once they officially crowned it when they called it when it was like an ISA world title but that would be something that'd be cool to do I don't think I don't think it really suits me like I'm not much of a sprinter and when I get in the start line for a sprint it doesn't really excite me very much but most of the races are distance races and I, I love that I don't know that fight and that mental and physical battle that we spoke about previously. So those type of distance races I really like doing. But I think going forward, just just the major races I'd, I'd like to do well in. The, the races with the best guys at it, with the, the most on the line, they're the ones that I want to win going forward, and I'll try and do that for as long as I can. What about the random ones? What about the 11 cities? Have you ever had a look at that and thought, quite fancy that at some point? Oh, do you know what? I actually looked at it this year because I'm heading over for a month uh, in a few weeks and it, it just clashed with the ICF mm. world, world title, so it just wasn't possible. But if it was after it, I, I would have loved to to go in it and, and have a go. I probably wouldn't be the best at it, but I, I would love to, to have a go. Like I find that I'm good around that hour, two hours, but I haven't done a lot of races over that three, four-hour mark and, and obviously back-to-back stages something I've never mm. done, but I've always thought, that, I remember Martin Kenny, a, a guy I used to, I started ocean ski paddling with the first time I ever did Molokai in 2012 on the plane. He said, the first time you go to a race, you go to participate. The second time you go to mix stuff and the third time you try and win it. And that's probably, that, that's probably the approach I take with those type of races and, and just see how I go. Obviously got a bit more experience than I did back 10 years ago, but it would be, yeah, really cool to do something like that. I think, yeah, I think as I get older, the, the races that I've done previously probably won't interest me as much because they're not new and exciting and being a beginner and, and learning how to do those longer races again, I think would be really cool. Awesome. Michael, thanks so much for spending this time with us. It's been fascinating chat. And if we wanted to take you up on your coaching services or find out more about you, where would we be able to find you? If you want to find out more, check out Booth Training on Facebook or Instagram at underscore Michael Booth on Instagram. Michael Booth on Facebook. And then if you want to check out my website, it's just www.michael-booth.com.au and and everything's on there. So if you want to find out more about me, that'd be the place to look. Fabulous. And we'll obviously link to all of this stuff in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Michael. Take care and see you on the water. Thanks, Simon. Thanks so much for having me and um, hope everybody is enjoyed this uh, podcast and enjoys their time on the water. Thank you for listening to this episode from SUPFM. And if you'd like to support the podcast and keep the wheels on the bus, then we would really appreciate your support if you're in a position to give it. We just opened up a Patreon page. So visit patreon.com forward slash SUPFM podcast. And for any new Patreons, we will give you a shout out. So thanks for listening and we'll see you on the water.